If I told you what that what I put them lads through, you wouldn't believe it. Curling has to be the most difficult, eye-hurting sport I've ever witnessed. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been described as the bridesmaids of Harlan, but today we got married. Oh, there's no rules. This guy just grabbed the ball, threw it up in the air, and then hit it. But, but I'd like to thank you, the people of Wexford, who stuck with us through taking place. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Hurling Podcast. In this episode we chat to veteran Wexford hurler, Rapparee's clubman and an all-star in 96, Adrian Fenlon. We start the chat here as I reminisce on meeting Adrian at a friend's wedding last summer. We were having a grand old chat and then Dancing at the Crossroads came on. Apologies for the second last time I saw you at Michal Bennett's wedding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you made a right mockery of me that day. <laughs> I gave the people uh, what they wanted. Likes, a man that likes the background and uh, keeping to himself, and then it was dragged out on a dance floor. Yeah, didn't sit well with me, and I yeah. had some Dutch courage with a few pints, so it wasn't too bad, I suppose. Yeah. You, you did seem to get in. You, you really did not want to get up there, but when you were up there, you seemed to get into it. So uh, when I got in the zone, when I get in the zone, Gary, <laughs> there's no getting me back. Thanks for coming on, Adrian. Very much appreciated. No problem. Anything to share. The love of Harlan lads. Hopefully, it can help out. I didn't realize you were a, you were a Tony Forrestal winner. Yeah, you're going back a long, long time now, Ben. Uh, yeah, I was I was part of the Tony Forrestal team, a good Tony Forrestal team actually. Um, must have must have been around 1987, I'd say 1986, 87. But we won. I think it was Division Two with the Tony Forrestal. So we had a nice little team, and I think it was Kerry actually we bet in the final. But it was a good outing great experience and it was the first kind of experience at that time under 14 was the you know the first time you could apply your trade at inter-county so uh, it was a great privilege to be selected for your county even at that tender age and uh, we got on right well down in Watford and stayed overnight uh, I think it was the first night maybe we stayed overnight and I remember staying with a few lads there was uh, pretty little sleep had but it was good crack we really gelled together as a team and we won the competition and it was fantastic yeah so first kind of experience of inter-county hurling yeah not to um demean your achievement but wexford in division two were things just at a low standard then or why were wexford not in the top division yeah, it's a, to be honest, Ben, at that age, I don't know why we weren't in the top division, but, you know, looking at the, the Corks and the Tipperaries and the, and the Kilkenny's, Galway's, when we were down there, you know, they were at a, a different level, it seemed, by just looking at them physically, bigger players. Now, they had bigger picks, obviously, you know, the massive picks, but, uh, you know, that said, you know, Division 2 at the time, I remember playing Clare in the first round, very good Clare team. I think Waterford were in our division from memory. But, you know, there was good hurling counties in it, but we weren't in the top tier. Uh, and maybe it was a, a symptom of where Wexford was at the time, for sure, yeah, because uh, looking at the honours list in previous years, Wexford didn't feature. Um, you, you know, so even if it was Division 2 and you won it, it was, it was the first time Wexford had won any Forestal in many a moon, I believe, yeah. So good experience and good crack and kind of set you up for what county standard was about. You were... You were obviously, you know, American players of a significant talent base, you know, so uh, different in club hurling, where at that time, if you were good and still, if you're very good at a young age, you can kind of, you know, dominate games, whereas at inter-county, you were up against 
people of your own standard basically and you had to really it was man on man it was it was kind of competitive stuff at a, at a high level you were captain of that team were you yeah i was captain of that team in in, in 14 i had the unique distinction i think it's a i'd say it's unique of captaining wexford under 14 under 16 minor and under 21 uh, and unfortunately not winning much um got close a few times against very good kenny teams at minor level uh, in particular but uh, never got to captain the the county as uh, senior level but all underage levels captain the county yeah and was that because you had won with the raps yeah exactly ben that's the way it was back then uh, back then you know the county champions selected the the, the captain uh, and it had been that way at Mexford up until recently. Uh, I think maybe Macho Allen and Lee Chin uh, of recent is a break of the past where the county champions had the, the entitlement of uh, nominating a, a captain for the county team. But certainly, yeah, we were we were very dominant at uh, underage level back in the in the in the eighties. We had Tim Choppers, Cullen, and Brother O'Connell and Paul Lynch. Uh, you know, all great coaches and mentors. And we had a lot of lads surrounding Ascardi at that tender age of 12, 13, 14. They were really just bought in to hurling and the passion of hurling that those mentors instilled in us. So um, I was lucky to be part of that, um, I suppose, journey. Would there have been any frustration then when you could, you never really got the opportunity to captain the senior team, seeing as the Raps never were able to win a senior championship? Yeah, not frustration, Gary. No, uh, to be honest, um, it would have been a fantastic honour, of course, but it, it, there was no frustration in that. Um, you know, a disappointment, huge disappointment in terms of, as a club, we never won a senior title. We won one in 1978, all right, well before my time, but we were in four four senior finals in 93, 96, 98, and 2001, and we were narrowly beaten in, a, in, a, in the mall, 93, going to a replay against Gabon. So, um we were we were kind of nearly like Wexford teams before ninety sixty. Also ran very close, bridesmaids, etc., and just could never get over the line. So, um, so yeah, that was that was a, a huge disappointment. And this year, wherever this year we go, I'm, I'm in with the boys, uh, the rap singers, and hoping uh, that we, we we might push on after being in a couple of county semi-finals in a row there and make that extra step. But it's it's not easy. There's some great teams out there, and there was great teams in my time. We just didn't get to rub it the green really. It's kind of a similar similar thing I would see with the Raps because you were talking about all the success you had underage and they've had a lot of success underage recently. I think we won four minors in a row, was it? A few years yeah. ago. And now you'd be expecting or hoping to make the step up. Yeah, it's not as easy. Uh, you know, it's not as easy as it sounds and especially Towns teams. Certainly, you know, my experiences in, in, in the Towns, you, you can be dominant at underage because you have the population pool maybe and a bigger pick and clearly that's an advantage when you're underage but you know other other teams catch up with you as, as you get older as you well know and uh, outside of that the attrition race in the town is at a very high level so you know you see you know I was involved with a couple of the county minor winning teams there a few years back Kevin Foley and those guys Liam Ryan and plenty of others but when you look back on that first county minor winning team that I was involved with a lot of those aren't playing hurling anymore and they just drift. You, you know, I know the Harriers would have the same issues down there in Mexford Town and Borey until recently had the same issues. So the attrition in the towns is quite high relative to the rural clubs. And so it's very, very difficult to bring underage success through to senior. You need a unique bunch of, of guys that, that can really last the course. And, uh, you know, there's too many distractions in the town, to be honest, drink drugs, rock and roll, whatever they're into, you know, and unfortunately, townies like the party, uh, as we well know. 
I suppose it'd be those factors. And then there's more choices in terms of other sports, like there's rugby and there's a lot of soccer goes on in the club or in the, in the town too. Whereas some of the, um, the country teams like ask them or we, we, we don't really have much choices. Yeah. Play hurling or football or you, you don't play much. Yeah, no, it's a very, it's a fair point, uh, and and it is true. Like even in the town there with ourselves, there there must be about five or six soccer clubs, if not more. You know, so most of our guys during the winter months play soccer, uh, and that that that's a problem for us when we start back. You know, with championships in April because the soccer is still going on. We've a few lads playing rugby and play hurling and football too. But you know, to be fair to the soccer and the rugby is coming to the end of their season, and we're trying to get guys to focus in on hurling or football for the start of a championship in the Wexford Senior Hurling or football championship and it's quite difficult for the guys to kind of give two fingers to the, the sport that they were playing over the winter you know just be, because we're coming calling so uh, it's a big problem for, for for us in the town and has been we've got it right for the last couple of years you know we've got good balance between the rugby and the soccer and that kind of stood to us over the last couple of years we're getting out of the blocks early in the championship getting a few wins under our belt whereas you know four or five six years ago we had a big big problem in the first round or two of the championship we couldn't early bet that the starlights are rapper easy to get best because the, the preparation wasn't good and um, so we've had to create a good working relationship with soccer the soccer clubs and the rugby club uh, and and that's pretty strong at the minute in terms of relationships. And you're you're with the the Raps hurlers now this year, and you were last year too, yeah. Yeah, I was with them there last year and a couple of months. Well, the late, kind of midway through 2018, I got involved, and then I I was heavily involved last year, and then the lads wanted wanted me back this year. I wasn't going to go back, but I said when they came asking, I said I'll give it one more year. Uh, so so um. But as, as things have panned out, you know, we don't know where the year is going to go. But no, we we have a great bunch of chaps in the wraps. They're very, very close. And then we have a good backroom team as well. So we, we'll be there or thereabouts. You know, we're confident that we can compete with anybody on the day. But we have to produce the goods, you know, and that's that's it. And some days we don't, but most days we do. Is there much juggling, though, between the hurling and the football? Yeah, that, they, again, that's a big problem, uh, Gary. You know, with, with, with a dual senior club, you, you know, where there is an expectation on the club executive that we should be putting in equal amount of, of attention or equal amount of focus with football as we, we, we should be with the Harlan. And then, you know, to, to compound matters, that's that's difficult enough when you have a couple of dual players. But when more or less all your Harlan panel is on the football panel as well, you know, that's a big, big problem. So about 80% of our hurlers play senior football as well. We have to get the balance right. You know, it is the one club. Guys want to play senior football. Guys want to play senior hurling. So, so we have a good relationship this year. Probably the best we've had in a long time. It was, it was working well, and we were really motoring until the whole COVID nineteen thing came in. So, uh, certainly, I think that and the players see that too. You know, they they can sense if the relationship between management teams is good, and it is good at the minute, you know, and the, and the, and the tribe on that, whereas if there's a bit of friction, it generally backfires for all and sundry. So um, not easy, though, because you look on Envy with the likes of Ragnar, Owlert, you, you know, some of these clubs that, you know, are doing twice as much hurling as you. Ferns, too, I know they play football, but they're really focused on the hurling, whereas we kind of have to get a balance of 50-50, 60-40, give or take. It is a weakness, uh, you, you know, let's call a spade a spade if you're wanting to compete. You know, to win a hurling championship, and you're playing against teams that are spending 40, 50 percent more time with the hurls in their hands. You're at a disadvantage straight away. You know, so um, it is a disadvantage, but one we have to deal with. Did you come straight from minor the very next year? You were on the Wexford senior panel. 
Yeah, I would have started in 1992 with Wexford. So it would have been 19, yeah. So a minor was under 18 at the time. So yeah, so it would have been 19 fencing or so. Uh, first game was down in, against Clare in Cusick Park in the Rockdus game. So a big deal for me. Uh, and I got on all right. It was wing forwards. Um, I was throwing wing forward and got a couple of points and stuff like that. So so it started off well, you know, but it was very, very green, very naive. Very young when you look back, you know, you wonder how you got on at all, like, you know, but uh, no, it went all right. The, the first few games went all right, yeah, but it was in Dublin in college at the time. And obviously transport wasn't what it was, or the road network wasn't what it is now. So it was difficult. Uh, it was difficult, to be fair, to, to make training and, uh, you know, stand up to the standard, I suppose, that was being expected. But uh, I guess... I gave us uh, I gave it it all um, till about February or March of 1993, and then uh, we were playing Cork down in Parky even a league game, and, and I got took off just before half time, and I couldn't understand why, so I was a bit petulant then, and I said, "Fuck that, that's the end of me in County Hurling. I'm not going to make a, an effort coming down from Dublin for this crack." So I left I left the panel then, as I said, young young and stupid, I suppose you, you could argue, but. Um, no, so the boys went on to get the league final, the famous league finals of 93 with Cork. So I missed out on that. So a um, little bit of regress, yeah, a little bit of regress on that one. That, you know, I remember going down to Aces Hotel in Turles after some of the games. and Some of the lads there I've been playing with a few months ago, a few months previous rather. And, you know, they were all going in to get the food after the games. And I was saying I should be I should be in there with them. So I was back for the championship, all right. Christy Gill came back. And asked me to come back for the the '93 championship, and I did, and started midfield in that. Yeah, hadn't fallen out with Christy then. Uh... No, 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 I hadn't. Uh, no, I would. I'd never take anything that way personally. But I just kind of probably sulking as <laughs> probably sulking as was for want of a better word. Is uh, I literally couldn't understand why it was took off because very little <coughs> ball had come down my side of the field at wing forward, and it was on Timmy Kelleher. That in itself was worrying because Timmy had a, a bit of a reputation of being scaldy. But nothing really was coming down that side. And if it was, we were breaking even. I felt I was the fall guy. And I said, the hell with that. So, no, I didn't fall out with Christy at all. A great admiration for Christy. He gave me my first goals in the county. And uh, a great Wexford servant and a great and a sporty guy. And uh, sadly lost to us. Um, but, uh, yeah, so came back in 93 for the championship and prospered. Done all right, I would have tossed. And uh, unfortunately, we, we got bet in the 93 Leinster final. The one we should have won, really. The one that should have should have been our first Leinster title since '77, but just got away in the last couple of closing minutes when Yummy Morrissey got an equalising point, and then the beat us fair and square in the replay. I forget what the beat us by, but the beat us well, and we're the dominant team. But in the first game, we we just didn't know how to get over the line, really. I was looking there then after that because that was a, a game you were I think you, you again you were up probably could have won it probably should have won it is what a lot of people say, and then in the '95. The '95 league, you lost to Kerry and came ended up behind in this Division Two league, finished behind Down and Kerry. How did things? If we look at going close, so close to beating Kenny, winning the All Ireland '96, what what happened in the middle that things dropped so low? It's a good question. Yeah, there was a little bit. There was a bit of friction that time. Owlers, Owlers were doing very well with the club at the time, and. It was nearly as if, and no disrespect to Owlert, but it was nearly as if Owlert were bigger than the county. And 
they were very professional outfits and I think Tom Neville was at the helm then and he brought severe strict standards to Howler that got him success and they were really moving well and probably had aspirations of going all the way and winning Leinster and All-Ireland titles. But there was a bit of friction and I remember before the 1995 Leinster Championship uh, and I think it was the week of the championship, actually, Outer played a practice game and a couple of the, the Wexford hurlers played the practice game, which didn't go down well. So th- there was um, there was a bit of friction that time, not with any of the players, but just, you know, the whole kind of, I'd say they, they had divided loyalties, maybe. They didn't know where they needed to go to, what they needed to do. And that was all cured up after 90, like the infamous, I suppose, stripping of Liam Dunn's captaincy. And I suppose that was Griffin... Liam Griffin putting down putting down the gavel. I'm giving it to another elder now. That's right, yeah, that's right. But um but I think it was kinda, you know, it was kinda Griffin kinda more or less saying that I don't care who you are, that this isn't gonna happen in my time. And he was there again in nineteen ninety six. Clearly, you know, when we got back in, in, in for preseason training in '96, which I'd say was it was very early. I remember it was probably a week after the All Ireland final at Clearwater in '95. So we started training very early for the '96 championship, and everybody was bought in, and it was savage stuff. It was it was savage training. Uh, we were in a gym in Wexford. Dominic Kiernan used to have a gym in Wexford. That was the gym that we were pumping iron in, and that was the first time we'd ever went to a gym, really. My first time ever in the gym. So I think from memory, it was the first time Wexford actually went in and really started doing weights programs. And Sean Collier was brought in, uh, who was a fantastic trainer and light heavyweight boxer. And, you know, just a different regime altogether. It was kind of, you know, a very, I suppose, militant kind of uh, operation. And, you know, there was great energy out of the gym. That in itself created a lot of energy. It was indoors. There was noise. There was crack. There was serious, you know, music pumping. But lads were pumping a lot of iron, and you could see the change. And you, you could see the change in guys after a month or two. You, you know, you could physically see the change. And um, and then we got to the outdoors, the the Bunclody, Bunclody old golf links out there. You're probably well familiar with the Gary and Ben. You're not too far yeah. away, but we done savage runs and hill running out there. So so look, Claire gave us, I suppose, Claire gave us some sort of a template that you know. We may not be, you know, as skillful as the Kilgannies and Tipperaries and Corks of the world, but if we have an edge physically, fitness-wise, we can certainly compete and win, as Claire showed. So uh, we probably, probably copied that template to 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 a fair degree. But everybody was bought in. There was a huge difference in in that um, awesome stroke winter of nineteen ninety five. You could sense that people had changed. Uh, the demeanour had changed. They realised Griffin was serious. He knew his stuff, albeit the results didn't go away in '95. He was a he was a deep thinker, researcher, you know, good on 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 all sorts, mental, physical, holistic. I don't know if it's answering your question, Ben, but we were in a strange place in '95 with the league because I remember Mead beat us in Belfield, and it was it was eerie, you know, Mead coming to Belfield and beating a strong Wexford team on paper. And me deserved to win, to be fair. They were very good on the day. I, I was playing myself that day. This is the one where Griffin was spat at, was it? Yeah, Griffin. I didn't see that now. I didn't see that, but he said he was spat at. But uh, he said a lot of things. I don't know what was true right. and what wasn't true. So <laughs> he was playing a lot of mind games. So I don't even know if that one was true. But I know I, I think he was, to be fair. And 
that was horrific. Like, you know, no matter who you are, that's that's just, you don't denigrate somebody to that level. So, um, but that probably, you know, there was that fortress mentality then, you know, and Griffin played on that a lot. There's, you know, even our owner against us and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, we, we really got unified after, I suppose, a poor 90 95 to really get ourselves right for 96 so we wouldn't be I suppose laughed at again yeah Was Griffin in a way lucky to keep the job for 96? Yeah it's a good question Gary because there was like there was soundings out there that you know I remember I think there was <laughs> I think there was a, a meeting at Murphy Floods Hotel there was kind of a, a crisis meeting called by a few lads around in Ascarty the suburbs of Inniscardi, some of Manoa, who would be strong GA lads, but they obviously weren't happy where Wexford was going and they were wondering why over the Blackstairs Mountains, Kilkenny could do so much and we could do so little. So uh, that that kind of, you know, that, that did go on. I remember a crisis meeting being called by a particular head in Davistown in Murphy Floods where 40, 50 gales turned up, you know, talking about Wexford Ireland, where it is, and it's an all-time low. So it's quite ironic that, because that was in the autumn maybe of 95, and, you know, literally nine months, ten months later, you're all the champions. So, um, so uh, yeah, they, like, Wexford people were quick enough, I suppose, to turn their backs on, on, on Griffin and the team, but then, you know, later on, he was he was being hailed as the Messiah and in, in, in the pantheon of greats, I suppose, yeah. And for himself... Obviously, there was a huge amount of changes the way that he handled the team and he handled the preparations from 95 to 96. Do you think he just needed 95 to, as a learn, to like understand what was needed? And then he was able to see that from Claire as well and what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah, like it's hard for any manager. Like it's hard for any manager to come in and, and lay their stamp in year one, and he probably had to go with what he inherited and see what's there. And '95 obviously was great learning for him in terms of, well, clearly the discipline wasn't there. There was a lot of drinking. When I say drinking lads in the panel, that would be drinking and you know acting the the, the maggots and stuff like that. You know, so um even though they were good hurlers. So you had to clear up on that kind of stuff. And then also, you know, the style of play, you know, he was probably in two minds about what style of play that we want and needed probably to assess our mental strength. And, you know, clearly a learning from 95 was he had thought that mentally and disciplinary uh, wise, we weren't at it. So he would have put a lot of focus on the discipline. And I'd say the gym outside, outside of the physical attributes the gym brought, I'd say there was a little bit of, you know, discipline in the thinking there that, you know, if we can get these guys to commit to a gym program outside the physical side, it's, it's building on the discipline because you, you went through a lot of pain in that gym and uh, up the golf things in Bumplody. So that was probably part of the psychological thing and then like clearly we never had a psychologist and in 1996 you know he brought in a psychologist and Neil Fitzpatrick and at the time that would have been a psychologist involved with a hurling team at the time would have been a taboo subject that said do you know what I mean it wasn't the done thing back then maybe Wexford are a little bit soft centred it was a brave step to be honest brave step was yeah so I think 95 he probably um, he was probably assessing what he had in front of him and where he needed to go uh, but as I said, the public weren't uh, too sparing in the criticism or, or, or giving them time. So the patient, the patience was running tin, and uh, thankfully we got off to a flyer in the '96 Walsh Cup Stroke League. I think we might have won the Walsh Cup, might have won the Rockets as well. And and then uh, in '96 we got to the league semi-final, I think, against Galway down in Limerick and Galway. Pieces down there. I actually think Damien Fitzhenry might have been playing centre back or centre forward that day, from memory. 
Um, but that was Griffin just trying things out, you know. He wasn't too worried about the league once we beat Offaly. Offaly was the big, like, Offaly was the big target on our heads for the for the Welsh Cup League all that time because they were a monkey on our back. They could always beat us by a couple of points and we were going to have them in the championship at some point later on in 96. Uh, so uh, beating Offaly was, once we beat Offaly in the quarterfinal of the league down in Turles, I think whether we bet Galway or not in the semi-final, it didn't really matter because that was the monkey offer back that we were looking at downstream, yeah. Now, you mentioned Murphy Floyd's hotel there. After 96, Tom Dempsey, there was a plaque on the wall in Murphy Floyd's that said, Tom Dempsey drinks free tea here for life. Tom put that, Tom put that up himself, Ben. Um, well, my question is, as a Raps man and a Scotty man, a man from the town, what did you get from Murphy Floyd's? <laughs> I got great memories from Murphy Floods uh, then, but I didn't. I didn't get free tea or I didn't get a plaque. No, to be fair, Tom was working in the market square at the time, and he used to go. I'm sure he used to have probably five coffee breaks a day. And you know, Tom, he loves the the, the talk and the chats and the gossip. So he used to frequent Murphy Floods at the time, and he used to sit down the bottom of the stairs in a little corner with some of the the Grain and Grain crew and and what have you. So um, no, Tom Tom spent a lot more time drinking coffee in there, so he deserved his plaque. But I, I actually do think he put it up. <laughs> himself yeah <laughs> but Tom is a Tom is a great character a great uh, super character and you know we were looking and we were looking in that team that we had some fantastic characters uh, of, of all various uh, types some you, you know loud and funny others just very quiet but very busy with one-liners and the coaching too in the second like you know so um so every everyone had a unique profile or personality and, and had a really gel well together yeah Definitely an enemy of Tom's who got rid of Murphy Floods. Yeah, I, yeah, Murphy. I know Murphy Floods was a great GA bastion of town and a great institution, and it was sad to see it go. But um, no, many happy memories there, and of course the GA county offices used to be there back in the day. So um, yeah, that's a it's a long time ago now, unfortunately. But Tom is still doing a lot of talking, though. We were oh, lucky. Yes. We were lucky enough to get him on our our first episode to get the ball rolling. We met him in uh, oh, the, the Riverside for episode one. Uh, yeah, free coffees in the Riverside too. That'll be top. <laughs> <laughs> Won the All Ireland in '96, the Leinster final in '97, and then beaten by Tip in the semi final in the All Ireland semi final. And then '98 was that strange to play one one championship game and then for it to be over. Yeah, it's like. You know, Gary, you look back uh, with a lot of regrets in 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 that period because you, you know, right? I had a, I was lucky enough to play with some great players and great management teams, and you know, done done the Wexford jersey and, and and loved it and was very proud to have done it. But um, ninety seven, we, we we weren't ready for Tipperary in the, in in the ninety seven semi final. We had a great Leinster final victory over a, a strong Kilkenny team, and that was for us. That was that was brilliant. That was really rubber stamping that 96 wasn't a flash in the pan and uh, that was super but we we got caught with our pants down against Tipperary we didn't see what was coming we we actually in hindsight's a great thing of course but I think three I think three of our starting 15 were actually injured they had injuries coming into that game and it would have been like hindsight's great that probably three of them shouldn't have been started and that's no criticism but there were household names first 15ers uh, and probably a, a risk taken. Uh, but besides that, Tipperary were very physical on the day from memory, and we didn't see that coming, and, and we were kind of blown up. Gerlach Nan at the time had blown us up as a big physical team. There were bullying teams and stuff like that. So, you know, I'd, uh, 
maybe that got into her psyche or, or maybe we thought we needed to soften it a bit. Or, and it wasn't that we were anyway physical or, or, or over physical or dirty. We, we, we were competitive. But, um, so so that was one great regret. And, and it's still a bit of a blur, that Tipperary game. I've never seen it, but I don't want to see it really. But uh, that turned us over. When we came back with a vicious hunger in 1998 to make amends and make things right, and we had awfully bass. Uh, we had awfully bass in '98, and then Johnny Dooley with a cruel blow, but fair blow. He just pulled on a ball on the ground and went into the net. I think time was just up, and they were, they got that goal and the beat us. And I think they actually went on to win the All Ireland that year. You know, so as you say, '98 was over in a flash. But uh, and it was like somebody just ripped the guts out of you. That's the truth because we had put such an effort to get right for '98 and 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 get back up the steps of the Hogan stand. So. So that that was that was really the end of of a, a glorious period ninety six close to ninety seven uh, in an All Ireland semi final and then ninety eight close to getting through a really strong athlete team that went to go on and win an All Ireland but you know the wheels kind of fell off then ninety nine two thousand we went into free fall some of the greats were retiring the the transition across wasn't as smooth as maybe could have been or should have been you know so. So, so that was difficult. Yeah, that was difficult. But then, what a lot of lot of people forget is we were in an All Ireland final, a semi final. Sorry, in two two one and two or three. So we were never that far away. We were still capable of of competing, but the consistency was gone. You know, the consistency was gone. Where you knew every day you were going out that you were going to compete and you could compete. Uh, you know, you might have got a bit of a run, but was it a flash in the pan or, or was it going to be there forever? And it, it proved that it wasn't going to be there forever. But, but at least we were there in 201 and 203. And to be fair, the semi-final against Cork, yeah, we were five or six points ahead, I think, uh, with 10, 15 minutes gone in the second half and, and, and they clawed it back to, to get a draw. And then the Tipperary one uh, as well, that was another one that got away. You know, I tossed the ref, I forget who the ref, it could have been Pat Horn, but... The ref, I thought, blew it up literally, literally 30 seconds before what normal time would have been. And we were after turning over a ball in the middle of the field. I think Paul got on myself, Harry, Tommy Dunn, blocked him. And the ball was about to go into the square or about to be struck into the square. And, 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 and you know, a danger zone for them, for us rather, you know, to get a winning score. And the ref blew the whistle up. So so it was really disappointing. And, and, and then we really hit a low point after two or three. We really, you know, went into free fall until probably the current team uh, that, are, that are competing really strongly now. Yeah, so strange mixed emotions, yeah. But 98 was a, a killer blow, yeah, for sure. Rory Kinsler took over in 97. He would have been involved in 96 as well. Would he have changed much in 97? Or would he have tried to keep things as similar to what Liam had yeah, no, Rory. Rory was a Rory was in with Liam and Seamus Barron in 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 ninety six. So it was a seamless transition. And to be fair to Rory, he tried to keep his every you know keep as much consistency as possible. You know, and obviously when the Leinster final was great success for Rory. And I've never asked Rory, but what what I've never actually asked him, and don't ask me why. But what what amazed me was we didn't have a psychologist in ninety seven, like. We've been so long in the doldrums, got a psychologist in who was very good, got through to the players, uh, won a Leinster final, won an All-Ireland final. And then we come back in 97 and there's no psychologist there. So I never actually asked why that was the case. But, you know, for me, that should have been, that was the one thing I think that was missing in 97 from memory. But everything else, like Rory ran a good ship. And we, as I said, we got to an All-Ireland semi-final, so not insignificant. 
but but probably you, you know as I said, and that's not Rory's fault. It's it's all our faults. But we weren't prepared for Tipperary. Uh, we weren't prepared for what was coming. Uh, and in hindsight, if you had that chance again, you'd love to have that chance to play them. You would have always been playing midfield or wing forward. Would your your instructions have varied much from manager to manager? Not really. I was kind of probably say I was probably more defensive midfielder. Uh, to be honest, I very seldom for it up into the attack like my job is quite simple and, and the game has changed totally now it's all about possession and getting possession and you know there's no ground hurling anymore you, you know when you get the ball you have to keep the ball you know when we were hurling it was kind of you know the, the rule was wing your own first rule was wing your own battle so you had to you had to wing your own battle no matter who you were marking you had to get better than 50 50 there so that was my first philosophy every day going i was i'm going to win this battle and secondary to that was you, you need a good, quick, quality ball into the forwards. That was that was it. It was a simple game. So it was nearly, and it wasn't as simple as that, but it was nearly move the ball as fast as you can up to the next line, and that's their job then. That's my job done. It's up to them to, to, to win their own ball and, and, and get the score. But no, the, the, the tactics wouldn't really changed in terms of the way I was asked to play. Like it's not as, it wasn't as, it was tactical, but not as tactical as it is now. It's It's gone to a different extreme now. It's all... Like it's it's just all kind of flip charts and movement and and short passing and holding possession. It's it's totally different now to to was then. And actually, I actually saw a couple of games recently on TV there with COVID nineteen. They're playing back all the all the games and like even the other night with Clare and Offaly in ninety five. You're looking at the standard of hurling and the way hurling was done, and it was a good standard for the time. But like if you played like that now at the minute, you'd be you'd be told you're useless. Yeah, you know that kind of thing. It was just the way it is. It's just the way it was. Yeah. So do you think that if you if you were playing now, that um, you'd have to completely change your game, or would you be? Oh yeah, ah, oh, without a doubt, Ben. Without 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 a doubt, yeah. Um, yeah, you'd be picking up you'd be picking up a lot more balls, that's for sure. Because if you hit the ball on the ground, I'd say you'd be took off now because you'd be so-called giving it away. So, um, but no, you'd you'd totally have changed your game. The fitness levels, fitness levels are gone to a different level. Like we were fit, we we were very fit for the time. But the like the the whole like the diets now like is phenomenal. You, you know, like. To be fair to, to Griffin, he would have tried to bring in, you know, chicken and pasta and spinach and all this kind of stuff. But you'd have Paul God and Sean Flood, you know, laughing at it and then you'd see him in Burger Max going through in the scarty on the way home, you know. So, uh, so, so there wasn't like the guys were bought in, but not to the not to the dietary requirements. Whereas now, if you don't buy into the full full kick caboodle, like if you don't buy into the training, the weight program, the 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 dietary, the nutrition, all that kind of stuff, you're not up to it. You're not part of it. Whereas back then. Everybody, it was for the love of the game, and all right, lads didn't like spinach or, or pasta or tomatoes or whatever like that, and they went and got their burger. But they got away with it then. But no intercounty hurlers doing that anymore. I don't believe. I think they're just at a different level, you know. Was anyone else scoring sideline cuts before you were? Ah, <laughs> uh, they were. Uh, they, they were indeed. Yeah, no. Um, I suppose I I got the love of sideline cuts. Uh, my old fella used to bring me to all the Wexford games in in the early eighties and. The memories were like Wexford used to play awfully that time fairly regularly and Pat Delaney and these guys but little Jared Coughlin and little Brendan Keeshan they were like they were like little dwarfs two wing backs for, for Offaly or before your time but they were fantastic hurlers but they were unbelievable sideline takers like you know I couldn't understand how they could get 
you know, the ball so far and so high and stuff like that. So I used to come home and practice, wanting to be one of those guys one day. And then John Fenton was was an unbelievable ground hurler, sideline cut taker. It was fantastic people that could take a sideline that time. Oh, I, I used to practice a lot, practice him a lot, and I suppose you know more often than not, you got it up off the ground, you got a bit of a flight on it. But um, yeah, so probably probably re- remembered a bit for sidelines, I suppose. Yeah. How would it make you feel that still, um, if there's a a post on the post on Facebook, who's the greatest sideline coach you've ever taken, and people put in Mark Coleman, Joe Canning, and then some guy will put in. Oh, Adrian Fenton from Wexford, I remember. You might not know the name, but you know who you are. I'd say the main John Fenton, the guard, the guy mixed up around the wine. But, uh, I know it's gone to a different standard. Like you see Joe Canning, you'd see Noel McGrath, you'd see um, Coleman at Cork there, like these guys. Now, the ball is a bit lighter now, you know, the, the, so you can get more distance on it. But they're able to hit unbelievable, like unbelievable sidelines. And it's a fantastic skill. I do think there should be two points uh, for us, to be honest, if we get it over the bar. You know, and I'd like to see Wexford. I think Wexford have started to do a bit more of it over the last year, year and a half. Uh, it used to frustrate me a lot when you see, you know, a sideline inside the 50 or 55-yard line. And to me, that's a that's a free shot at the post. It's like a, it's like a free. It's a free shot. Why are you trying to hit quick, short uh, sideline to somebody with a ladder or two on him? It's... It's putting a lot of pressure on a player when you could take a, a free pop at the, at, the, at the post, you know. So, um, but uh, I know, man, those guys are at a different level now. Like, you know, it's just uh, the art has gone totally up, you know, in terms of it's like hurling, as we spoke about a few minutes back, that the standard, the speed, the skill levels, the way it's played, it's, it's just at a different place, yeah. Your uh, Wikipedia page, the last line in it says, renowned for his physics defying skill. In taking sideline cuts, <laughs> I must have wrote that myself uh, <laughs> one, one night. Yeah, I don't. The great thing about Wikipedia is people can, you can edit, I believe. So I, some somebody must have went in and edited it on me. Probably my mother or somebody. I don't know. <laughs> so, so you're adding to your own Wikipedia page, and Tom Dempsey is putting up plaques for himself in Murphy Clause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the art, the art, the art of self. Uh, <laughs> I suppose self-preservation. Yeah, you need to keep yourself yeah relevant. We- when you were talking about the uh, all the old GA matches being shown now because of this COVID nineteen, the two thousand and three match against Cork was up there recently as well, where you got the two sidelines, one from probably two or three yards inside the thirteen yard line, and then one from about five yards outside the forty five yard line. If they were worth two points, then we could have had an All Ireland in two thousand and three. <laughs> Yeah, no, I remember I remember the one inside the thirteen yard line, all right. Yeah. So um I probably would have been shot if it hadn't went over to be honest. But uh, there was not Nelson. There was not Nelson, like, you know, it was it was you just had to go for it, you know. And uh, I got huge just I got wicked abuse from the cork guys behind me. It was all cork in the in the front of the Hogan stand behind me and I said, Jeez, what did I ever do to them lads? So <laughs> I bit bit me bit me lip anyway and said I'll throw it over the black fucking spot and that'll shut you up. So um <laughs> so I got lucky, yeah, I got lucky with that. But I, there was not Nelson and I said it was a what do you do? You drop it into the square or do you just you know, try to at least get a point. And you, you were confident enough that it was going to be close. You know, that's that's how, I suppose, how much practice you would have done with sidelines. It'd be like a free taker. You, you knew if it was going to be a miss, it was only going to be a couple of inches wide. Whereas, you know, so you, you take the chance. You, you take the, you do the odds on this and you say, look, uh, take, the, take the free shots and try for a point, yeah. That was in the first half. And then in the second half, the one that was a couple of yards outside the 45, 
Marty Morrissey actually said before you took it, this uh, after you scored the first one, he's like, Adrian Fenlon at the foot sideline, he's got one already. This one's too far out though. Or is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I remember seeing that a few years back, all right. Yeah, but you just connected. Like, you know, I remember, you know, to be nights up in Belfield there and you take 20 sidelines in a row from, you know, working out from the 21 out to the maybe 55, 60 yards out. And more often than not, you get about 10 to 12 to 14 out of 20. You, you know, now, geez, I wouldn't be able to get it off the ground now, but, you know, if you're practicing that often, like as I said, it's like a good free taker, but if you're practicing that often and your, your strike rate is, is fairly good, uh, in terms of uh, percentage success, you're confident. You know, you're confident over them. You don't mind taking it on because you know that it's going to be very close. And if it goes wide, so be it. But it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be 15 yards wide and a big moan. It'd be only an inch or two wide, you know. So you, you take on the chance, yeah. The next year, you're against Kilkenny in the semi final. Your sidelines were also quite, quite important for that victory. Were you, in, were you involved in the when we talk about tactics, the tactics for that game were quite different than what any tactics Wexford would have played before. Were you involved in deciding what way we were going to play against Kilkenny that day? Two or four. Yeah. Um yeah, so so it would have been yeah, it would have been part of probably Fitzy, Rory McCarthy, myself. Yeah, we would have done an awful lot in the kind of six weeks leading into the Kilkenny game and, and puck out strategies. So um like that was that was the greatest Kilkenny team of all time of that of, of any era for for me that Kilkenny team you know of the Nazis was just phenomenal you know Henry Shefflin, Tommy Welch, JJ Delaney, three of the best hurlers that have ever played the game and everybody else around him some of the best hurlers that ever played the game so so like we knew we had a difficult task ahead of us but the Kilkenny half back the Kilkenny half back line that was their platform that was that's where they were launching everything from because they were so dominant in the air so we said look, we sat down in the furry carry go night players uh, players only actually there was no management there that night but um we said we need to devise something to beat these guys and the only way we can do them is to slash the, the, the half back line's comfort so we devised uh, a lot of movement around the middle of the field to create space for the half-forward line. And then the half-forward line equally, you know, had to do an awful lot of running that day to create space there. So so we knew that the, the Kilkenny half-back, half-backs and actually six-backs didn't like being moved around. They were brilliant man-on-man, you know, tight, you know, keeping it tight. Uh, who can block and they were exceptional, best, best best in the game by a long shot but when they started having to run after players that was their weak point so um so we spent weeks and weeks six weeks give or take you know really practicing uh, movements you know midfielders kind of movements and creating the space and then the, the the half forward line would see what we're doing in front of them and they would know the trigger points then in terms of what their movement levels were to be uh, to create space for somebody else who knew that that's where the Fitzy's puck I was going to, and that's where I'm going to be before the Kilkenny halfback. So yeah, that was that was that was that was game. Now we were looking in the end, of course, because Mick Jacob got the great goal, but we we knew we were under their skin. We were definitely under their skin, and we had them on the on the ropes for a lot of that game, you know. So uh, and nobody had given us a chance. So um, it was super. It was a fantastic feeling to get over the line with the the last puck of the game, more or less. It's the best way to win games. It's heartbreaking for. The vanquished, but it's brilliant for the, the victory, and we were victors that day. That block by Mick Jacob at the end on 
It was was it Noel Hickey or Peter Barry he blocked? It was Noel Hickey, wasn't it? Peter, Peter Barry. Barry. It was Peter, Peter Barry. Peter Barry yeah. Okay. Well, it might have been the first time he had blocked Peter Barry, but another match that I had walked, watched back there over the last couple of weeks was that game. And in the first half alone, Mick Jacob blocked down Noel Hickey two or three times, the very same way, the way he blocked it and then got the ball into his hand after the block. He created two scores out of him and one freeze. He actually had an unbelievable first half that day. Himself and Rory actually were super at blocking the backs coming out with, with, with balls, you know, throughout their careers. So, you know, it gives it gives the midfielders or, or our own backs, you know, a great lift if, if you see the forwards really hunting and hooking and blocking. And uh, certainly, yeah. I heard um, that Peter Barry actually, um, uh, Mick Jacobs' wedding, Peter, Peter Barry made a video for him <laughs> to congratulate him on the block. He did that. <laughs> 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 I didn't hear that, yeah. That's good. <laughs> but it felt it, it felt beautiful, you know, and I know it's uh, sure everybody knows now that Brian Cody dropped to his knees, uh, you know, when it went into the net. But yeah. you know, I saw I saw it once or twice, probably on Facebook or something like that, you know, because I, I don't really look over the games, you know, videos back to back or or, or front end, but uh, I saw it once or twice, but it was beautiful block, but the way it just bounced bounced right back up yeah. into his hand and the swivel lane and just roofed it uh, to the you know, the net, it was just, it was fantastic. It, it was like great skill as well as everything else, but just to finish and to finish that way, it was fantastic because remember we were in a low place from 1997 until then, even though we'd been to a couple of baller and semifinals and look, I know it was only a Leinster semifinal, but to beat Kihenny any day in a championship takes a lot of effort. They're a proud, strong, hurling county that don't like losing, and they're never easily bet. So, um, so that was great. It was, it was certainly one of my most memorable uh, moments in a Wexford jersey. Why do you think like, it was a draw against Cork in Autry, and then they came out and bet, bet the lard out was basically in the replay, and then they hammered us again in 04 semi-final. Were they that much better than us, or did we just not turn up on those days? A bit of both, I think, uh, to be honest, Ben. Cork were super, but I think we were good enough to beat him. And the day to beat him was the first day, you know. But one, once they got the second day up there in the sun, it was, they don't play in Crow Park that often, so they were used, or that time they, they hadn't. So they were much more used to it the second day. But they, they went on to prove themselves a super team, Ben. To be fair, only for Kilkenny's uh, supreme team of the, the Naughties, they probably would have won four or five All-Irelands, to be honest. So they, they, were, they were, when I say much better than us, well, paper tells tells the story, they were much better than us. But we certainly had our, our chances the first day in, the, in the, the drawn game. Like as I said, I think, you know, the memories a bit blurred on most of the games, but I think we went five or six points up at about 10 or 12 minutes into the second half. And that was a good lead, you know, because we were playing pretty well. But then they started to come back. They got a couple of Jodine frees and could have been Satato Halpin or somebody got a goal. Then I, I, we were in a good place. We, we we should have been able to drive on, but probably, again, didn't have the know-how. We didn't probably have the same leaders that we would have had. You know, a lot of the lads were young enough that time. They were coming on. Whereas back in 96, 97, you had the, you know, you had the Georges and Tom Dempsey's and Stories and Cushes and these guys that had been around the block for a good few years and were leaders in their own right. But, um, and leaned on, of course, 2003 was kind of a transition phase where probably if we had had a bit more experience, we might have come out a better way after going five or six points up. 
Your last game, 2005 was your last year then, was it? I think it was 205, yeah, I think it was 205. Was it against Care? That's what I'm thinking now. I'm, but it was your game, you know. <laughs> I know, I know, Ben, but I'm, use, I'm, I'm, I'm useless. Honest to God, I'd forget game. Only for TV and videos, I wouldn't have a clue who we played. I know we got well beaten by Clare in an All-Ireland quarter final, and I'd say that was, I'd say that was it. I'd say I probably packed it in at that stage, I'd say. Um, do you have any emotional send-off then, or did you not, had you not decided? No, I didn't. I was, I was humming and hawing about going back the following year, and I just, no, it just, I, like it was starting to move into, sure, I must have been 30, yeah, 31, 32 at the time, and I was fit. I was still fit. No, I was still fit. You know, you're looking at Tony Brown and these guys in Watford and, you know, there were a couple of years ahead of me and stuff like that and years of, of service with the county. So I still had the level of fitness that I would have been able to certainly contribute. Not for not for 70 minutes now, middle of the field, not a hope of that. But, you know, for 40 minutes, 50 minutes, yeah. But just look, I, I, I weighed everything up. Wasn't long married, kid on the way in 206, all that kind of stuff, busy with work, you know. So I just made everything up and I said, look, time to time to, to maybe call us a, a day then. But um, no, no big fanfare, no Facebook or Facebook notifications or tweets or anything like that, Ben. Just drifted off into the sunset, yeah. 05 was the year in the league that they trialed two points for a sideline. So. Dirty fuckers, seriously. <laughs> yeah. So was it? Maybe it was. Is that when I was gone. Maybe maybe that's the reason you decided to go, and they just said no. <laughs> I can't recall. I can't recall. No, I just uh, time was up, you know. And to be honest, I was glad because you know the last thing you want to do is to be told that your time is up. I was after giving a good 13, 14 years, 14 years probably uh, with Wexford at that stage. I was after giving it all, you know, so I was happy to, to step out on my own terms, you, you know, to be honest. Um, you know, you see some lads over the years and they just stay on too long and, you know, they're going to be told and then they're disappointed when they're told, you know. But uh, I was starting to realise that the speed, not that it was ever fast, but I was able to move, yeah. I, I wasn't a bullet, but I was able to move and I was very fit. But, you know, you, the older you get, the slower you get. You know, the fitness, the stamina is still there, but Harlem is becoming a fast game, a very fast game. A lot of younger lads, 10 years younger than me, and I just couldn't keep up with them, you know. So um, so time to time to, to shoot for the stars. So then I went back looking forward to playing for the club and hopefully winning the club championship with the Raps in the first game uh, the following season with the Raps. My jaw got broke by one of my own players. So that was <laughs> that was that was uh, that was a wake up call. That's uh, so much for winning the championship with the Raps in 2006. Uh, I, I ended up in St James's Hospital with wires all over my mouth. But anyway, can we name and uh, shame? Happens. Owen Quigley. He's, uh, he, he, he's, he's a teacher up in Ballyroy book. Yeah, <laughs> uh, very good, very good herder. And he just he pulled, and I didn't see the pull coming, and it was too slow to react, probably. But uh, I actually thought he pulled two foot over the ball. But anyway, <laughs> I ended up on the wrong side of it. In a training session or in a match? No, we were playing, I think it was the Duffy Rovers in a, in a, in a championship, probably first round of the championship in 206 in Wexford Parks. Oh, right. Yeah, so uh, I was really looking forward to that year. And, you know, after spending a lot of years with the county and giving your best to, to club and county, but this year I was really looking forward to giving the club everything in 100%. <laughs> uh, so first game of the year, bang. <laughs> Good luck, God bless. I have a fan question here now. I assume it's a rat in your man, because I know there, there, are, um, there are numerous Ted O'Connors in rat in your. <laughs> so I'm not sure which one, but he says... 
Personally, I'd love to hear how Adrian Fenlon managed to be so successful on the hurling field whilst carving out an exceptional career in the pharmaceutical industry. Does he think it's possible now with the demands being placed on current inter-county players? Should everyone with inter-county aspirations become a teacher? Well, it's a really good question. Like, I was lucky. The pharmaceutical, like I was in the bank for a few years and, and then I got an opportunity to go into the pharmaceutical industry as a rep. And uh, the good thing about the pharmaceutical, like the good thing about the repping was it was, it was on my own terms. It wasn't a nine to five job. It was kind of, you know, you start early, you finish early. So I was an early starter, never bothered to get up early. So um, I would have been on the road before anybody else. I'd be out there, I'd be doing my business and I'd be home by four o'clock, you know. So near, not quite as good as a teacher, but, you know, in terms of time time to prepare and stuff. So it worked for me. It, it, it worked for me. It, it's, it's a tough question to answer that because, you know, it's gone so professional now, hurling and football at inter-county level that's you, you know even a lot, like a lot of the managers or teachers you, you, you know a lot of the managers are not in full-time when i say full-time but you know kind of nine o'clock to, to six o'clock jobs they're, 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 they're kind of in jobs that to have hours you, you know in in every day to prepare and plan and stuff like that so so it's nearly impossible as a manager not to be a teacher or not to be your maybe your own business owner with other people working for you or having an investment that's turning over cash or money for you. Uh, but to be a player is very, very difficult now with the demands because I even see the Wexford players, they might be trying till half seven, but there's an expectation that they, they should be all there at half six and stuff like that. So um, it's not easy. It's it, it, it's not easy. So what you're going to see is like back in my time, you had the, the Georgies and you know, these guys hurling for 14, 15, 16 years with Wexford. That's that's the thing of the past. In the modern era, I think you're going to see the inter-county career span probably an average of seven to eight years. And that's it. Because once you pass 30, now you're, you're goosed. And even between that, you know, you mentioned about the travelling. You know, the world's gone a much smaller place now and people want to travel and experience the world. So, you know, it's very hard when you're 24, 25 and all your friends are going down to Australia or South, Southeast Asia and, and, and places like this, you know, and you're left at home. But that said, that said, um, it's a passion. You know, playing for your county is a passion. People that play for the county sacrifice a lot because they want it so bad. You know, like I travelled, I was lucky, like I travelled... In, in the winter, you know, I played inter-county and then you go off to Vietnam or Australia or somewhere in the, in the you know, Thailand, wherever, you, you know, in, in December for a couple of weeks around Christmas time. Now, we didn't do the, the four-months thing or the six-months thing, which maybe people want to do now, but certainly you could have a nice holiday over Christmas for three or four weeks and, and experience parts of the world and the cultures that are out there. And I, I did that and I had a great time at it, but I was still able to balance the, the inter-county hurling with that because we were always back for it. But it's, it's changed now, you know, everybody is on the travel boat and people want to experience different cultures. But if you want to be a county hurler and successful, you can't have both. And that's the thing. So you have to make up, you have to make your choice. When did you stop hurling with the club? I don't know what year. Uh, I'd, even, I'd, I'd say it must have been, geez, it must have been 
37, 38. I, I, I'm not sure. I heard Junior, I, I stopped seeing her a little bit for the you know, same reasons as um, the county. You know, it was slowing down and stuff. It was fit enough. I enjoyed hurling. But, you know, you know, there was young lads there in the club. The longer I stayed there, hovering around the senior team, I was probably taking the place of a, a young lad coming through. And I kind of said, no, I'll step back now and give the, the young lads their, their go. And I played, played junior for a few years. And then I went and played junior B for a few years. I did be playing junior B only for a kind of tore me Achilles. I didn't rupture, thank God, but tours. And I'd never had an issue with that before. And I said, that's it now. I'm not rupturing an Achilles. So maybe about five years ago, that kind of happened. So maybe I gave up with the club of 42, maybe. 42, 43, uh, playing Junior B. And we won a district title that year. So it was great crack with some of the boys. And, you know, Junior B is a bit of fun and stuff. But it's, it's also competitive when you're playing a game. You get plenty of belts uh, as well. So, um, But then the Achilles went. And it was stupid. It was, it was ridiculous because I felt it kind of get kind of tight. And I said to, to the manager at the time, Fuzzy Gacy, it was only a practice game against Mona Gear. I said, take me off, I'm tightening up here, throw one of the young lads on. <laughs> and he says, you're flying to go on out there for another 15 minutes. And the gobshit that I was, I went on for another 15 minutes rather than just saying, will you cop on and throw on a young lad there? It was only a practice match. So I, I kind of was re- very regretful afterwards. But anyway, sure, look, it was, that's, that's life. And, you know, as I said, you get signals that your time is up. And when your time is up, your time is up. You're still lacing the boots once a year, the hurling for cancer. Yeah, I done that last year. Jim Bulger invited me up to that last year, and, and that's great. You know, it, it, it's a fantastic fundraiser that Jim holds every year and creates much needed funds for the Irish Cancer Society. So, um, that was good fun. But then, yeah, I I came out and there was loads of old crops coming out and you know carrying a bit of waste, and I said, just this lovely, it'll be on somebody that's slow and whatever I'll, I'll be able to compete anyway and then fucking Taggy Fogarty comes in on me and I said oh Jesus Christ <laughs> yeah so I got the short straw there but it was a bit of fun bit of fun there was a charity match then down in Watford Mount Zion there last year for, for nice. Little Blue Heroes so Pat Sainz of Innescardi organised that so the Wexford 96 team went down to play the Watford team of the time so uh, so that was great there uh, with the boys in 96 and you know, it was it was funny. It was supposed to be a bit of fun, but some of the lads were, you know, the two guineas were killing lads for balls. So some things never change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was I was playing in that hurling for cancer in Newbridge as well, and some people still have the the hurling a lot more than others. I thought I felt of of the um, probably the ninety six era. Damien Fitzhenry definitely still has it. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Gary. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, Damien. And are you saying yourself, Larry and Story haven't got it anymore? No, no. I I actually thought you had it as well. I thought you still had it as well. <laughs> it was funny. It was funny though, Gary, because Jesus, Brendan Cummins. I know Fitzy played well that night. No, Brendan, Brendan Cummins, Cummins was phenomenal. Brendan Cummins was phenomenal, phenomenal that night. Yeah, I never I never saw as many great saves. In it. I know it was only a charity match, but Jesus, it was phenomenal. Yeah, there was, there was one of them that. He had saved it and it dropped down just on the edge of the square, and someone pulled on it and he just put out his hand and, and didn't That's just didn't just uh, stop it with his hand, caught it. <laughs> like, yeah, unbelievable, unbelievable. No, he had an unbelievable night. I couldn't believe it, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Did we cover ninety six enough? <laughs> I, I know, I know, it's the one that you're probably fed up at talking about, but <laughs> ninety six was a great experience, Gary. Um, and I don't talk about it much, to be honest. I don't generally talk about. Myself, to be honest, in terms of hurling, hurling and hurling career, 
No, 90, 96 was great. Like the memory, the, the memories of ninety six, uh, like on all Ireland final day, they are a bit of a blur. But I do remember, you know, in the dressing room beforehand, it was pretty relaxed. Uh, you know, Griffin had kind of thought maybe we were a bit tense. I don't know. He must have been looking at a few lads because I, I was very relaxed. He asked, he asked Larry O'Gorman to crack a joke in the in the in the dressing room, like you know, in the warm up area. But you know, got a bit of a laugh and stuff like that. So we were very in the zone coming out. The amazing thing was Griffin, like he had everything organised down to a T. Like he had predicted in advance that, you know, Limerick would break, you know, in the parade and the wooden march in front of the Wexford crowd on Hill 16. And he, he outlined this, I think it was the Wednesday night before the All-Ireland, that this is likely to happen and we keep marching and keep your chests out and stuff like that. And he kind of, you know, he went through this, uh, uh, you know, if we got a man sent off, like, you know, stuff you couldn't just, Think like that time that was very seldom brought up. That what are we going to do if we have a match or, or a man sent off? So he nearly had everything just you know crossed T's crossed I's dotted. He had prepared for everything like it was phenomenal. So it made our it made our job very easy on the field of play because everybody knew what to expect when when Scallon got sent off. We all knew how to react. To be honest, and uh, everything was calm and measured, and we knew Limerick were nervous. We we knew we like just the psychological edge. Griffin, again, you know, he was talking about, you know, when you're meeting Mary Robinson, you know, stand up like soldiers, keep your chest out, your chin up, you know, don't be fucking, don't be bending down, touching your toes and scratching your arse and all this kind of cracking. You know, that's that's a sign that you're nervous and stuff. And we were all there like military personnel, you know, chest out and all that. You glance over to the Limerick lads and we're doing exactly what he said is a sign of nervousness. They were all jumping and checking their boots and pulling up socks and they were just a mess like you know so so psychologically before the game was even started we had a one in my mind you know you just you know so so they, that's some of the things from from 96 but the game itself the game itself was just you know it was it was tough it was very tough uh, I remember Mike Coolan flattened me in the, in the first couple of minutes I didn't see him he, he obviously had me lined up I had the eyes on the ball I was making a run anyway and I had the eyes on the ball that he saw me and he just he gave me a shoulder to the chest and I hit the ground like a ton of bricks but it was up within I'd say 0.2 of a second like you know and that goes back to Griffin's thing about the weights and you know you'd be amazed with how easier to able to give shots and take shots because you know certainly the weights we done in that autumn of 95 like you know the hits we were getting weren't really hurting us to, you know you just didn't feel them so everything kind of added up in '96, and it was it was super for Wexford people and the county, and look a proud moment. And it's just a pity we haven't got back up the steps uh, of the Hogan Stand since. And hopefully, this current crop of players who are very close, I, I think and believe, uh, hopefully they'll be up the Hogan Stand in August, late August, sometime soon. Please God. Was that how you're American, Mike Coolahan, or who was your Mark? Yeah, I was. I was your Mark to Mark, uh, Mike Coolahan that day. Yeah, so um, so we would have, you know, the semi final would have been. I would have been on Mike Coleman, Mick Coleman, and Galway would have been. That's my man. That's who I need to look after and win that battle. You know, Mike Coolahan. I was tasked with marking in the in the final. So um, I was moved back wing back with about on Frankie Carroll. I remember I was moved back wing back in the second half with about ten minutes left. We were under a bit of pressure, so um. I went back wing back uh, for the last 10 minutes maybe memory serves me right it was just great look it was super for the county but I really like I remember George O'Connor and myself coming out after and we were both saying this fantastic to win but we don't want to be fucking here in 20 years being spoken about as 96 heroes what we want is you know somebody to win next year and the year after and the year after and the year after and we're forgotten men 
unfortunately we're still talking about 96 uh, which is is sad but hopefully uh, hopefully soon we'll have many Ireland's to talk about and we can move on yeah when you say you're playing against Offaly and you marked Pilkington 12 14 times did you always go out and say Johnny I'm against you or was it just random Oh no, just random. You you just took them. You just took them. You go in and uh, you, you go in uh, into the middle of the field, and you know who you're on. And you go to him. I, I used to try to get in front for the drawings. Uh, used to like the drawings and using the ash there. But um, Johnny used to like that too. So we'd square up and uh, and then game on. Sure, we'd come peace uh, and kill each other for an hour, and we'd have a right crack after. Johnny was a good character, and you know enjoyed the crack, enjoyed the pints. But he he was a proud Offaly man, and he gave everything for Offaly. He was a great guy. Yeah, David Redmond told us a story of uh, how he was he was going into the throwing and he seen his own clubman was standing at the back of the throwing. <laughs> he had left he had left Michael Fenley for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, unfortunately we didn't work that way. We didn't work that way. We were we, we knew who we were on beforehand, but uh, I played club hurling with a couple of lads. They say you know who you'd be on before you go out because you know he'd be taking the easier one and I'd be giving the hard one. <laughs> <laughs> when you talked about um, being prepared for the the red card in '96, and then when Eamon Scallon, who probably wasn't who, who Liam Griffin thought about or thought would have got the red card, but he had got sent off. What was that? What was the preparation? Was that the rotation of the forwards to cover the, their spare man? Yeah, it was. It was really Gary. It was. I think it was maybe, maybe about a week and a half before the Ireland down in Wexford Park. We played fifteen on fourteen and fourteen on fifteen. If you get me, so the the so called first fifteen, the likely first fifteen, and then in 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 the final, we're we're playing fifteen against fourteen against our our, our so called second string. Now there was no so called second string because the second like. If it was A, B, second string, whatever we call them, they were just as good. Like we had, Jesus, we had serious, serious games in Wexford Park where there'd be lumps torn out one another and there'd be nothing in it, nothing in it. So so we would have played 15 on 14 and then in the second half, we would have played 14 on 15, you know, and then he would have talked about, you know, what we need to do, you know, if we are 14 on 15. And, you know, it was generally the forwards were taking turns to were kind of, they were changing the, the guard in terms of who was to chase the, 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 the Limerick's bear man, you know, who was, to, who was to hunt him down and then Story might have done it for three or four minutes and he'd take a reprieve and Dempsey had come out there. MC would come out and blow a gasket after about a minute and he'd go back in then and call Rory McCarthy over. Yeah, so Rory, I think Rory, Rory got the short straw. I'd say Rory had done most of the running and chasing and Harry and Larry Murphy stepping in as well. But um, yeah. Martin Story was on with Woolly Parkinson on the GA hour talking, they were doing a review of the 96 final. You know, just about the preparations and the way Wexford didn't break from the, the, the march around the pitch and stuff like that and being so calm and the, the traffic light structure of red, orange, green. But then Limerick came out and started much stronger, so they were kind of discussing, well, was, was that all nonsense? But then I think Martin Story said that, well, actually, no, Limerick did start quicker, but they were that wound up that they were always going to start quicker. But then we had the level to stay consistent through the whole game and we got stronger and stronger through the game. Whereas they started extremely quickly, their performance then tapered off. When Limerick start, got the quick start, would that have been through your mind that there's no need to panic here, we're still set? 
Yeah, we we were definitely not a panic. And in hindsight, I'd say Martin, like we did, we didn't predict it that way. But in in hindsight, he's probably right. They were wound up. They were they were totally wound up. Whereas we were relaxed, uh, you know, coming into the game. So their adrenaline was probably starting to to run up to the, the you know on throwing their adrenaline was probably at, at its pinnacle, and you know wasn't going to stay up there for seventy minutes. So. Uh, He's probably right that they were pumped on adrenaline and they got off to a quick start. And uh, but we never panicked. We 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 definitely didn't panic because we knew we were good enough. We knew we we like as I said before the game. I was fairly strong in my mind anyway that we have these guys best. Uh, I can see it. Um, you know so and that would have ran right through the team. I'm sure I never spoke to the guys about that, but we would have been ultra confident just over seventy minutes now. Did I have a question mark in my head when Scallon got sent off? I certainly did. I kind of said fuck. Jesus, we spoke about it, but we didn't see it coming. So, um, but we just, you know, the backs were the backs were outstanding in the second half. Like I have to say, it or Colin Kyo and Liam Don and, and all the boys, like they were just resolute and so disciplined. You know, I don't think I, I forget the stat. I don't think we gave away a free in the second half. And like it was, it was a very competitive match. It was a tough match. There was a lot of hook and block and harrowing. Uh, you, you know, so not to give away a free when we we're that much under the cash was just immense discipline and I could be I could be mistaken now but I, I don't think we get away free in our backs in the second half that day so uh, no I never panicked Gary never panicked and uh, never did really yeah so who is the best player that you've ever played with like Damien Fitzhenry is the best goalkeeper I've ever seen um, so I'd probably like I'd probably say Damien Liam Dom was exceptional as well. They, they were all exceptional. They're, like they were all exceptional in their own right. But it's very hard to, to name one if you get me. But um, I'd say Damien Fitzhenry, yeah. And who was the toughest player that you've ever marked? That would be a toss-up between uh, Johnny Pilkenden and Kieran Carey. Uh, to be honest, uh, both exceptional hurlers. Um, but I was low, like I, I, I had some great battles with Johnny. I, Johnny and myself met on a lot of occasions. Um, you know, so we had great battles. Kieran Carey marked him twice, and uh, he got the better of me twice. To be honest, which kills me to this day. Uh, just everywhere I went, the ball seemed to go the other way and fucking ricochet off somebody else and straight into his hand. But he got the better of me. Uh, like I, I had great pride because I would have thought that very few got the better of me over seventy minutes. But Kerry got the better of me a couple of times. But I didn't play like one was a league game and one was a championship game. You know, so um, whereas you would have played on Bilkin and maybe 10, 12, 14 times. So you had more of a kind of a a good feel, but look, I, I great players that I, I was lucky enough to play on the likes of Andy Comerford, you know, Derry Kling, Mick Coleman at Galway, you know, fantastic, all fantastic in their own right. What sort of hurl did you use? Yeah, I always, uh, when I was playing inter county, I always used a Randall uh, 36, uh, 36 Randall, Randall uh, Albert made super sticks, yeah, 36. In my time, uh, my time was always thirty-five or thirty-six. Most lads use thirty-six now. I think they're using dab sticks. They're using thirty or thirty-two or thirty-four. But, uh, and I, I can't get that because they have to be like on overhead batting or striking or blocking or hooking. They're, they're losing two inches, four, three inches, four inches. I, I don't get it. But anyway, they're all doing that. A lot of people use the handle now. A lot. Most of the people that we've talked to. 
Yeah, Randall, Randall was the, the mainstay back then. Uh, and then Philip Doyle started to come in a bit. And then Brian Welsh, obviously, now. And Dick Barron and those, you know. But back then, Randall was really the man, you know. And I'd say 90% of the lads were using Randall. Thanks very much, Adrian. No problem, Ben. Uh, thanks a million for that, Adrian. Really appreciate it. Uh, well, best of luck, lads, anyway, yeah. So that's our podcast with Adrian Fennan. We hope you enjoyed it. Unfortunately, Shane Tompkins couldn't make it as he was binge-watching Mrs. Brown's Boys. We'll be back soon with another podcast. In the meantime, if you could like, share, retweet, tell your friends, leave us a rating, but most importantly, stay safe. Thanks for listening. Most importantly, I'd like to thank you, the people of Wexford, who stuck with us through thick and thin. Hello, Wexford!